Al Evil to the right hand, puts Herb down, he's gonna jump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I'd been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Leibold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back. Episode number 122. Of course, I'm Brady Liebold coming at you from a very beautiful Muskoka, Ontario. Beautiful up here today. 19 degrees. I think it may have even been warmer. For my American listeners, that's, that's pretty warm, especially for up here this time of year. I don't know the conversion. Thank you to uh, Chad Charles Campbell, Hockey to Hell and Back. Available on Spotify. Really excited for this episode. This one, too, been a long time coming. I'm telling you, it's been a long time coming. We, I think we were supposed to do it, God, probably close to like maybe a year ago. Uh, but sometimes things, 
you know, just happen when they're supposed to happen and things have to fall into place. And that's kind of what's happened here tonight. And I'm really excited to get Patrick Davis on. I don't, uh, I don't want to talk too much at the beginning of this podcast. I really want to get into the conversation, but you know, when, when people are trying to rebuild their lives and I know there's a lot of people that watch and listen to this show that have been on that path as well. And you know, when, when people make that decision to say, Hey, like this isn't working for me anymore. And, uh, I'm going to do something to, to make a change. And that's what he's done in his life. And, you know, we're going to talk about his hockey career. He played in the NHL and, uh, we're going to talk about life after hockey and kind of what, what that's been like. Never had a chance to play against this guy. Our paths never crossed. He was a Kitchener Ranger in the OHL. While I was in the WHL and, you know, he played in the American League for over 300 games. But our paths never crossed. And uh, I'm so glad that they're, that, you know what, we've met each other now because we've been talking for, I don't know, on and off for probably the last year or so. And like I said, this is a long time coming. So without further ado, let's, let's bring him in. Hey, what's, what's going on, brother? Nothing, man. Just living the dream. Living the dream, yeah, man, and and you kind of are, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Every day, I was watching uh, your highlights on there. You're a much better fighter than I was, that's for sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I was really that good at it. I just pretended like I was some of the times and got lucky. But no, man, I'm I'm so I'm so grateful you're here, and uh, just want to say how proud proud I am of you for you know what what you've done and and what you've fought through and. I'm excited for people to hear your story because we were just kind of chatting beforehand and this is the first time you've ever done something like this, certainly your first podcast. So yeah. thank you for, thank you for, you know, trusting me and this uh, platform with your story. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you having me on, you know, and I just love the stuff you're doing, man. Like it's great, you know, getting the word out, speaking about this stuff uh, helps like erase the stigma. It's uncomfortable to talk about and, you know, I'm pretty sure like you, like myself, struggled for years and we couldn't talk to anybody, right? Because it was so frowned upon. And, like you bring it up and people just look at you weird. And yeah. it's a real uncomfortable position to be in. But um, yeah, like you said, it's been a long time coming. Um, we was like a year ago or so that you were supposed to do this. But um, let's see, last, actually last year around this time I was in treatment. Um, I had, I was about, I was clean for 14 months. Sober, I was not doing anything. Then I uh, went on a six month run, man. And my life was come, coming apart. And I just couldn't, uh, couldn't hold it together anymore. You know how it goes. But, uh, you know, I'm so grateful, you know, to be here, be alive. Um, you know, I think I should be dead. I don't know why we're the lucky ones and we made it with the amount of drugs and alcohol that I would consume on a daily basis. So um, truly grateful to be here today. And, and so, it's crazy. Like I tell people all the time, like, I am grateful for my addiction, alcoholism. Yeah. I am. I'm truly grateful because it's given me this opportunity to do the deepest, most meaningful spiritual work I'll ever do in this lifetime. And it's truly changed me as a person. Like every day I get up, you know, I hit my knees, I pray, I meditate, and I put my recovery first and my faith before everything else. Because if I don't do that, everything's going to fall apart again, just like it was. But, uh, 
Yeah. And, and just, I kind of want to hop in there and yeah, go ahead. that was my experience too. And, you know, I kind of want to, we can talk about, I, I love that we just get right into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, it was my experience too. You know, the, the amount of times I would try to, you know, go to rehab and, you know, I would do some of the work and essentially would, you know, do all the, say all the right things really, you know what I mean? To the people and, and kind of white knuckle my way through it and kind of put on that facade and let my ego take over. And then it would be relapse. It'd be like six months here, relapse, you know, go on a run, nine months, relapse, go on a run. And exactly to your point, every single time that that happened to me, I wasn't putting my recovery first and actually at that time hadn't done enough work to actually be in a position to stay off the substances because I was just yeah. such a mess, like inside, you know, pretending like I'd done all this work and I was fixed, not realizing that was going to be a, a really long process and a lifelong journey of healing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's every day you got to put in the work. Um, like, what, what I've learned through this whole process is like, I was, I had a very narrow minded view of addiction and mental health, you know, in my twenties growing up, because I, to myself, I thought it was a lack of willpower. You know, I saw some guy on the street, homeless shooting up or, you know, drinking. And I looked at him, I was just like, this guy has no like willpower. Like he could stop if he wants to. Right. And like the stigma around addiction and mental health, like it's uncomfortable to talk about. So people don't want to talk about it, but we should. So like my hat's off to you for doing this whole thing because you're empowering other people like us hockey players, but you know, thousands of other people that like have the courage to speak up about themselves and not feel like they're alone because there are thousands of people dying like all over the place. And, you know, I just love what you're doing, but you know, it's, it's like I said, like addiction, it's a disease, right? It's like cancer. People don't choose to have cancer, but they get it. People don't choose to destroy their lives. You know, I didn't wake up every day and I was like, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to go get arrested today. You know, I'm going to blow all my money. I'm going to ruin every relationship in my life because I want to. No, it's, it's absurd. It's insane to think that somebody would want to do that to themselves. You know, and I don't, when... You know, AA talks about like I'm a, I go to AA, I'm a big AA guy, and like talks about like having an allergy, like we're allergic to it. Like some people can pick up a glass of wine, sip on it, have one or two, then stop. You know, for me, I have a glass of wine, I want two bottles. Then I'm going to call it my dealer and get cocaine. You know, then I'm going to be off and running again. Then I'm going to have vodka. Then I'm going to have everything else. Like it's, I'm defenseless against that first drink. I don't have a choice. You know, I have a choice before I drink it. Yeah. But once I have that sip, I don't have a choice what I do after that. And this is, you know, it's difficult to explain to somebody that feeling because it's that obsession. I want more. I want more. And more is never enough. It's it's endless. It is a bottomless pit. It will take and take and take until you're dead. And that's just the way it goes. And sometimes that can happen very rapidly. Sometimes it'll be a long, painful death, but it'll take everything that you that you have and your soul 
And um, it, it is just a, a horrible, tragic existence. And the obsession is real because even, I don't know about for you, but you, we know this when we're going through it. We know how awful it is, mm -hmm. like somewhere in there. But it's, it's still like impossible to stop. Even if you know people are like, hey, it's killing you. It's hurting us. It's, a, it's destroying our family. We, we know this when we're going through it, but there's, it feels like there's no stopping it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. There is no stopping it because it's a cycle of addiction, right? Like you get the obsession, the craving, you know, then you do it and you're in that cycle and you're in this run, but then you sober up a little bit. Then there's that remorse that comes mm -hmm. over you. You don't want to feel that way. Who you want to wake up to your phone, everyone texting you what you did the night before, you know, like, what do you do? You go pick up again because you don't want to feel that anymore. And I, I was so ashamed and embarrassed of myself, you know, and I retired from hockey, I think like six years ago or something like that. Um, I never did drugs during my hockey career. No. Mm -hmm. You know, I drank because that's like our culture. You know, we get a day off, we got the green light. We're all going out and getting hammered. Like that's just the way it is. Since I was 15 years old, yeah. when I went to play junior hockey, that's what it is. And it's this environment that we're raised in at such a young age, you know, and you drink and you go out and you just, you know, you're with the guys. But like, I noticed even when I was younger, like, um, you know, guys would stop and I would keep going until I passed out. And I wasn't, I didn't have drugs in my system to keep me going on, you know? So it's, it's just a, it's a tough environment to be raised in. Like, you know, hockey wise, uh, how old were you when you moved away for juniors? Yeah, 16 years old. And, you know, I kind of hit on this, you know, I did a couple interviews up here when all that stuff happened with Hockey Canada and the World Juniors. I don't know if you heard about that down in the States, but I don't want to get too much into that. But anyways, they essentially asked me a few questions and I kind of talked about that culture of you know, my experience moving away from home at 16 and all of a sudden there's guys on the team that are 19 and 20. So, you know, they're drinking and, and the whole girls and all that kind of thing. And you want to fit in. And and so, you know, I start drinking with the older guys, you know, thinking that's what I have to do to fit in. And very much like yourself, I found out very early on that I was the same way as you. I just I was the last guy I'd like keep going, just couldn't put it down. Yeah. And it you know, I, I think there's always a couple guys like that on every team. And I could tell you, I played with a, a few of them who are really struggling. You know, one guy's homeless right now um, on Hastings where I was homeless in Vancouver. Uh, another guy not doing so well out in Saskatchewan. I'm not even going to say where because people could pinpoint it, but who it is. And it's not my business to air out. But like it's this culture, this cycle of like young players moving away from home and hanging out with those older guys. And guess what? Those older guys, they were 16 once and they hung out with those older guys. And, 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 and it's like so much good in the game, but there is a lot of, it's pretty toxic. Cause I don't know what it was like in Kitchener. Cause you played in the O. Yeah. And I'm not, to, this isn't to bash Kitchener. I, you know, I played in Swift. I ran around Swift like an animal, like absolutely, it, you know, I would go home for curfew, a lot, missed a lot of curfew, but I would go home. But what did I do from practice till 11 o'clock curfew? Man, we would run, like we were idiots with, we were doing so, such stupid shit with no, uh, you know, accountability, no real, real supervision. And, you know, and then 
when you break that cycle of like leaving hockey, you realize that like, holy shit, I did anyways. I'm like, that's not really normal behavior. It's like a lot of this stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. I just thank God every day. Like people don't have cell phones with cameras on it back, back no, you know, no three and four, right? So no doubt. And like, I mean, it's just, it's a really, you know, with, like I moved away. I think I was 15. I was just turning 16. Right. So I, I went to the U S program, but then I came back. So I'll back up a little bit. Like my father went to, went to jail when I was in my early teens. I can't remember how old I was. I like okay. or so, right? So like he went he went off to jail. I still haven't spoken to him or heard from him till this day. So he goes away, you know, my mom, he's put my mom through complete hell through this divorce, which is nasty and you know, for a brief period, you know, my mom and I, I think my sister was living there too. A lot of this stuff, my mom and I moved in to her sister's house and we slept in the basement. Like we lost our house, like through this whole thing. Right? And at that age, like my mom's, you know, she's struggling. She had thyroid cancer and she's going through all this shit with my dad and you know, my brother's gone at this point, like he's in college, my sister's still around, I'm the baby. And like, I didn't know what to do at this point, right? And I was always uncomfortable in my own skin, pretty much my entire life. I was, un I was uncomfortable out. The only other place I was comfortable was on the ice, ice and when I was drinking. And I started drinking when I was 13 years old. And I just had this overwhelming anxiety inside me all the time. I wasn't accepted. You know, I, I thought I was awkward looking, you know, I wasn't friends with people in the neighborhood. Like I, was, I just had my hockey team. Right. And the only place I was comfortable is if I was drinking or I was playing hockey and my dad taking off and going to jail that really, you know, affected me big time. Um, you know, pretty much sleeping on air mattress in my mom's sister's basement. She's sleeping on the couch. I had to get out of there. Right. So I went to the U S program and I ended up coming back to uh, bell tire back in Detroit. And it just wasn't, it was just too easy for me at that point. So my advisor at the time gave me a list of teams where I go to, I ended up going to the Sioux, Sioux city in the USHL. Uh, it was just, I just turned 16. Uh, I still was contemplating college or major junior. You know, I grew up in Detroit, so the OHL is right there. We got Plymouth Whalers, Windsor, Sarnia, uh, Saginaw now. But when I went there, the first thing they did was take me out and get me completely hammered. Like, that's the first thing. I was like, oh, this is normal. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to drink until you black out. Like, I'm 16 years old. I don't even, I don't even think I had my driver's license yet. I think I did. I don't, I'm not sure. But, you know, it's, it's a wake-up call, especially then you add on top of that, like, I'm 16-year-old. I'm coming to this team, you know, mid-season. I'm playing with 19, 20-year-olds, and they're getting healthy scratched. Yeah. I would, I would get – shit tossed at my head from the back of the bus yeah wake up you know like there's hazing but then guys take it overboard because yeah. they're and you're taking their spot yeah you know? 
Like I'm an insecure 16 year old. I'm away from home for the first time. You know, I have guys in the back of the bus picking on me, starting fights with me in practice, like putting shaving cream in my fucking shoes. Yep. Like every time I fall asleep, you know, cutting holes in my clothes, you know, and a lot of of people, they don't know this shit goes on. I didn't tell anybody. Yeah. You know, but so like that was my intro into junior hockey. Right. So. The summer rolls around springtime and I just made a decision, you know, Kitchener had two good coaches, Pete DeVore and Steve Spot. They're in Dallas right now. Awesome coaches. And they run a program there, like an NHL program. So, you know, I, they offered me a really good school package, you know, in case hockey didn't work out. So I ended up taking it and went up to Kitchener and, oh yeah, buddy. You had to pull that one out, didn't you? Look at (laughs) Look at that Justin Timberlake look. Dude, hey, that was at uh, the CHL Top Prospect game in Vancouver. Hey, I I was there, man. Not playing, but I was watching that, I believe. Really? Yeah. With, yeah. I was there with my with my dad, I think. I'm pretty sure that year. Dude, Crosby. Crosby, Crosby and Brule. Yeah, I gave him his hat trick goal. Yeah, oh, yeah? Yeah. Gilby's a friend. He's been on the show, actually. Really? He just, yeah, he's a, he's a buddy of mine. Yeah, beauty. That's a, that's hilarious, but yeah, sorry to sorry to interrupt. I had to throw the picture up there, <laughs> dude. That picture is unbelievable. You got that one too. Yeah, look at that tape. Look at that. Tape. You were number man. You know what? Like you remind me, like you were taller than me, but like I was number ten in Swift. The stories you're telling about on the bus and and all that shit, man. It was the same way for me, man. Like and it was fucking brutal, dude. Like I I hated going to the rink. Mm-hmm. I, I hated my life, man. Like that was really the first time where I started to contemplate, like taking my own life was because I was like, holy shit. Like I've, I've wanted to do this my whole life. I'm living my dream at 16 playing in the WHL, but I can't stand going to the rink because I like, again, insecure and dealing with that shit on a daily basis is a fucking nightmare, man. Like gears yeah. missing, get to the rink, your skates are like hid somewhere and you're going to be late for practice, but you can't run and tell the coach or whatever. Like just yeah. stupid shit, man. Shit's in the showers. All yeah. Equipment, soaking wet. And yeah. like, I, you know, one time, like I remember like, I, I walked in the room, all my stuff was gone. You know, I'm late yeah. for practice. I can't find no one. Everyone's just laughing and I can't say anything. I go around the coach. He's like, Pat, what do you want me to do? Like, go do something. Like, he didn't do anything. He didn't care. So I went out there and started a fight, you know. Yeah. Hit the first guy I could see. And, you know, it was a big scrum in the locker room. Got my ass kicked. But, you know, <laughs> it really wasn't that tough back then. But I was sticking up <laughs> myself. Yeah, I do. And, yeah. And, like, on top of it, like, the, the amount of pressure, like, the coaches. So I was that player, which I didn't give my full effort until the coach pissed me off until, you know, like that's the only way my coaches knew they could get me going. Right. So if they would come in, you know, I would have like the scout signing sheet on my stall, you know, after warmups with all the, um, you know, it's like say the most vile stuff to me to get me going. And like, I was programmed that way, but like, Later on, I didn't find out till later on in my life how messed up it actually made me. Like, you know, like you're not supposed to talk to human beings the way some people talk to talk to me, or I'm sure you heard it too. 
right? And yeah, and and realistically, man, like we were kids, dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like I used to, I used to laugh at kids. They would be crying, you know, as the trainers putting their equipment in garbage bags, right? Taking it out of the rink, crying, and I'm just sitting there laughing because, like, my mind is pretty much calloused at this point. Like, I'm yeah. just like, dude. He says that to me every single day and you're crying right now and you're going home. Like, <laughs> how messed up is that? I should be yeah. like empathetic towards you, kid, but I'm laughing. And it's just that environment, but just continue. Like you said, like running around, just doing dumb shit all the time. Like whenever you have the night off, just go and get blackout. And yeah, it's, it's bad. But. You still, but you still like, you managed to like, you know, string together a couple of really good years and get drafted, you know, in the fourth yeah. round, 99th overall, 2005 to New Jersey. Is that, you know, what's that experience like for you? And and when that happens, like, what's the, what's the mentality at that time for you in your life? You know, my, the mentality for me was like my at home situation, right? My dad and my pretty much homeless, you know, my mom ended up getting a place, but like my whole hockey saved me. Right. Yeah. And, and like most people didn't know what was going on, you know, back home in my, like with my family and everything. So I didn't talk about it with anybody and, you know, my mom, God bless her. And like, she was so strong, like through the whole thing. But, and she always supported me along with the rest of my family you know, from a distance, but like my whole thing was like, I'm going to get back everything that was taken from me, you know, and I'm going to do everything it takes to get back and prove all these teachers who told me I'd never play in the NHL, you know, I'd get a C plus on a test. And I remember in ninth grade, my religion teacher came up to me and was like, Mr. Davis, you should focus more on school because you're never going to play in the NHL. Like, who says that to a kid? Like, it's unbelievable. And I've had other teachers say this, similar things to me, but like my whole life was just, you know, proving other people wrong. I had so much anger and frustration out. Like, like when I was at home and I was in that situation, like I looked at other kids and like they're happy families. And I was just like sitting there, I'm pissed. I'm like, why, why is this happening to me? What have I done? And I internalized all that anger and resentment towards, you know, those people pretty much towards everyone. And hockey was my escape. And I was just like, I'm going to prove all these people wrong. I'm going to get back. I'm going to have that happy life. And I'm at the end of the day, I'm going to be able to say I view to everybody. And that's what helped me get through juniors into pro hockey. And like, um, lost my train of thought there for a second, but like, happens to me I, all the time, dude. Don't yeah, even no, I mean, like, I dealt with a lot of injuries. Like, I think my first year in the OHL, I blew out my shoulder and I, I, no, I blew out this shoulder, like, I had good points. I had 27 or 18 points in 27 games or something like that. My rookie year in the OHL, I only played 27 games because I kept separating my right shoulder and I broke this collarbone. I think it was DJ Cromney who hit me, snapped it and buried. 
I'm not, I can't really remember, but yeah, broke that. Dude, I was riddled with injuries all year long. And I call a Band-Aid, you know, yeah. like guys on my team were calling me, you know, porcelain, all this, just talking mad shit to me. And dude, I, I had like a mental breakdown when I was up there one day. Like, yeah. I literally didn't show up to the rink to go get therapy. I, I had painkillers for my broken collarbone. I had my arm in a sling. Dude, I went and got drunk in some parking lot somewhere and just hid and turned my phone off. You know, I knew where I was. I, dude, so many similarities. I can't even tell you right now, dude. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're not the only ones. Like, this is, this is, uh, this is a common story. And this is, thank you for sharing that. Please keep going. Sorry to, sorry to jump in. It's fucking believable to me. I'm like listening to myself talk. Like, that's what it feels like. I'm just like reliving, listening to somebody else tell my story. It's wild, man. Mm -hmm. And it's bullshit right? Like we're supposed to be, we're in a place where you should be It's so, you would think like so happy, so focused, so grateful to be in the OHL, living your dream and one step closer to the NHL. But that's where, you know, you were at mentally, where I was at mentally and so many other guys and the shit that that's the shit that doesn't get talked about. And again, back when we were playing there, like you, you didn't dare talk about that shit. No, not at all. Then, like, you don't talk about what's going on in your home. You don't, you know, you know, you're hurt, right? Coach, who you're hurt? Yeah, you, dude. I got like my thumbnail ripped off, my finger, my thumb broke in one game, and the coach is giving me shit for not playing. I can't even like hold my stick, and like I, I'm like I can't even function this way. And it's just the pressure, like even this shoulder, like I kept separating it over and over again. Was the pressure from everything get back on the ice you're not hurt you know shoot it up tape it wrap it do what you have to do get back out there and play and how if you bring up anything and say anything how dare you you're soft you're not going to make it like this guy playing hurt you can't do it and and just like the pressure of everything like play through injuries you're not allowed to talk about your feelings you know, I'm having a hard time. Like my like family's falling apart back at home and I'm going through all these injuries and who am I going to call to talk about it? Right. I'm not going to call my mom. You know, I, I did, I did call my brother once in a while talking about, I didn't, you know, talk about a lot with them, but like my dad's nowhere to be found, you know, I don't have anyone to talk to. So I hold it all in and literally like, I can't remember how many times in my junior career I would just take, like, I just felt like taking off and disappearing, you know, and and it's just a really, really lonely, lonely place to be. You know, you're the star of this town, you know, I'm playing with all these great hockey players. I like living the dream and I feel like I'm the only person in this world. I feel so lonely all the time and it just, it was a real tough experience like to go through. And I'm sure you know what it feels like. Yeah. And it, it is, it's extremely difficult, but you managed to, to get through it and you know, you went on to, to play pro and tell, tell me a little bit about that. Like, 
yeah all of a sudden now you're you're i don't know about you but i found the jump to the american hockey league quite a quite a big jump from major junior yeah no it was good like so i got traded my last year from windsor uh like november like from kitchener to windsor uh in november i went up there and i split it up i think i don't know how many points i had but i was playing on the top line with two guys who had great NHL careers um we just, I tore it up. So the next year, next spring, doubles are like, all right, we're signing you. So at the end of uh, that season, I went up to the AHL to play like five games, I think, uh, after we got knocked out of playoffs. Yeah, it's a big step, like for sure. You're playing growing that. And I remember I was 19 years old walking in the locker room. You know, guys are talking about their kids and their wives. And, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there as some kid. I barely have hair on my face i don't have any now but uh, <laughs> like it's just a real shock to your system and it's all business you know and like guys weren't going out like then some of the young guys were going out but other guys were just going home to their wives you know their kids our team we i think our average age on our team when i was in the ahl was 28 years old so we were really old and i was young but that jump like it's big and um, you really, you know, the pool gets smaller, right? Like yeah. you're a big fish in a little pond or whatever you want to say, like in minor hockey, then the pool gets a little smaller in OHL and you get to the AHL and NHL and it gets real tiny. Yeah. The whole world. And like, you just like, Oh shit. Like <laughs> these guys, these guys are good. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's still a tough life, especially in the AHL, because you're on the bus the whole time, man. Like you're not flying anywhere. It's not extravagant. You're not living in like extravagant cities like the NHL. You're living in freaking Lowell or Binghamton, <laughs> and there's nothing there. Yeah. And, but no, it was it was good. Like my first year in the AHL, I, I started off hot and. Uh, Again, I had injury problems. I had my meniscus worked on. I had hernia surgery, and that did a real blow. Like, I wasn't taking my health seriously at that point. I was eating junk food all the time. Drinking. Drinking, drinking lots? Oh, yeah. I was drinking whenever, every chance I got, right? Yeah. And, like, gradually, as I went through my early professional career, I got called up once, sent back down which was, I mean, I played my first NHL game against the Edmonton Oilers, like, in Newark. Like, it was a dream come true, right? It was, like, one of the iconic teams of the NHL, like, I grew up watching. Yeah. It it was a dream come true, and, like, I couldn't couldn't tell you what I did that game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. I don't know if that's that game, but. No, that was. That's Florida, it looks like. Yeah, that was that was the year they traded for Kolachuk, and when I got sent down, I, I played eight games that year. Scored um, too, eh? Yeah, scored against Toronto. That's sick. Yeah, that's, that's, okay. like that's something nobody can ever take away, you know? Yeah, I know, and it's it's crazy. Like I never gave myself credit. Yeah. For that, right? Like it wasn't enough. Of uh, course, yeah. You know, I wish I would have took in the whole like whole like the whole experience of it but like as 
I go further along in my recovery, like I'm starting to like give myself credit for what I did. Like how many people yeah. can say they did something they dreamed about when they were five years old, six years old, right? Out in the driveway, stick handling around, Davis is in, shoots, he scores, you know, like we all yeah. did that. Yeah. Wearing my Red Wing jersey, like, like there, I think about that. I'm like, holy shit, like, dude, you know what you did? And I, I give myself credit. Now I look back on it, like, I'm so, like, proud of myself, all, all the adversity I overcame, you know, to get there. And it's a battle, man. Like, you get the shit kicked out of you. And, but, you know, as like that season is when my drinking really took over, you know, they traded uh, for Kobe. I got sent back down. I wasn't happy. I thought I should be in the NHL, um, you know, full time. I wasn't getting an opportunity. So I requested a trade right? and I got traded to San Jose and they were like the best team in the Western Conference at the time. I had no shot, no shot of playing there. Got sent straight to the AHL in Worcester, and I was I was just done. I was checked out that year. That was like towards the trade deadline, and I sent to Worcester, and pretty much I was drinking every other day. Did you play with? I'm gonna. I was gonna look it up. Sorry to cut you off. Did you play with Mike Wilson in Worcester? Uh, no, no, okay. no. Sorry to cut you off there. No, you're good. Um, but yeah, like that whole season, like I was in. That was a year after I was in Albany. I was having a shit year, you know. So I was just, I was just in a real bad place. This is my fifth year, you know, playing or fourth year playing for him or whatever. And like you said, I over three hundred games played, so I have a lot of games played. It's a grind too, man. That league, everybody is trying to get to the next level, and there it is. Fuck, even on your own team, man, it is so competitive. And it just felt like when I was, I mean, I was only there for a bit, I got hurt, right? And but even then, it just felt like it never really felt like a team, like to me. It was like a bunch of individuals that were playing on the team, all trying to individually get to the NHL. That's what my experience of, of playing in that league was. And it just, I, I don't know, man. And it was pretty clicky. And yeah, just felt, very lonely if you will yeah no you're exactly right it is all individual right because what are you trying to do make it to the nhl so i don't like i don't give a shit about winning like and you know the the teams what they do is like they try to blow smoke up your ass and say it's all about winning like don't worry about your points well my contracts and me getting called up depend on my production so it's like, oh, be a team player. So you, you stick me on like the third or fourth line because I'm big, right? And I'm a, like, I can check, I can skate, I can score also, but I'm not playing power play, you know? And it's like, I'm penalty killing only. And then I have scouts coming to tell me I should be putting up two points a game, a point a game guy. I'm like, well, how can I do that if I'm not on power play? Yeah. You know, and it's, and they, yeah, it's, it's a lot of head games they play, but it, to your point, um, it is all individual. The guys are out for themselves because I'm certain point, like I'm a team guy, 
but you know, at the same time, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I hate to say it, but screw you. Like I'm trying to get mine, <laughs> it's, yeah. but it is, it's all individual. It's a hundred percent. And it just was, uh, for me, it was like a, a pretty, just the whole environment was like a wake up call. And I think some part of me was like, Oh man, like, I don't know if this is really what I want to be doing. You know, my heart wasn't in it. And I think that really started happening in junior hockey when I was the hazing and that kind of stuff. Like, obviously, at 1920, that shit wasn't happening. Not to me and really not to anybody in that fashion because we all kind of it got squashed. It still happens, but not nearly as bad as it used to. But, man, like, just uh, getting to that there and then realizing that, hey, like, shit, this, this isn't really what i want is like because it's a lot man like it, it is a it's so stressful it's demanding yes it's incredible and it's a great experience but it's it is it's a lot and for me mentally where i was at i don't know about you but i just i fell apart i couldn't i couldn't hold it together where were you at like with the drinking because eventually you made the switch to to leave north america which is a hard decision for anybody to make when you're trying to get to the NHL, it's sort of that decision where you're like, Hey, fucking, I'm going to go try to make more money overseas yeah. through the NHL. Uh, like where was your mind at? Where was your drinking at? And how was your time over in Europe? Oh, I was drinking a lot then. Uh, I wasn't at that point in my life. I, I still had under a little bit of control. I would binge. So like I wasn't drinking every day. This is talking, <laughs> talking like an addict right now. I would drink Thursday to Sunday. All right, Thursday to Sunday, pretty much every day. <laughs> but, um, and the odd Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, and the odd Tuesday. But, like, that's normal. No, yeah. it's terrible. But, like, what changed my decision, what made my decision for me to go overseas is I was playing this men's hockey league uh, tournament in the summer, and I ran this guy, and he pretty much had a similar – NHL, AHL career I had. And I was talking to him about the situation or whatnot. And he looked at me. He goes, if I were you, I would go over to Europe, make your money. Because I'm counting receipts right now. Because I don't know if I have enough money in my bank account. Because I chased that dream for so long. And AHL salaries aren't, you know, <laughs> that great. So, um, you know, that really hit me there. And just the opportunity to go see the world you know, make better money. That's what made it for me. So like I went to Germany for a year and Russia was just absolutely crazy. You know, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Finland for three years. And How was that? What, Finland? Yeah. Oh, I love Finland. It was awesome. Yeah. Finland was good. Man. Like, I won a championship there with Carpot uh, my second year. Um, and I got bought out of my contract because they way over, they paid me way too much money <laughs> for what I was doing. So they bought me out. I, that was like one of my career goals is to get bought out. And I did. <laughs> I was kidding. But I was like, huh, wow, I am, they are paying me way too much for this. But there's an awesome experience, man. Like I loved every second of Finland. Like it's yeah. a great culture. Little Finnish guys are awesome. They play hard. But Finland, one of the highest alcohol alcoholic rates, you know, it's dark there all winter. Dude, I drank so much when I was there. And I my it was just drinking at that point, right? But like it wasn't until after my career where drinking took over because 
I didn't have hockey anymore. Yeah. Like I was, you know, I got a good job doing medical device sales. I was lucky to know some people and I was good at it, but I moved home and it's just a totally different way of life. Man, I was just sitting there looking around sometimes. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. Like it, it felt like I was living someone else's life for a long time. And I was married at that time. And, you know, and we got married too quick, you know, and think my drinking just took over, you know, then I was arrested one time early on. It took like two or six months into me retiring to get arrested. Um, then like a couple of years, I was good. I was like put on probation for a year. I did that all. Um, then my marriage only lasted for, I think, another year. So two years after it fell apart and my drinking at that point, I was pretty much self-sabotaging myself because I was so miserable with my life. You know, I wasn't coming home. I was drinking every single day. I was showing up to work freaking drunk from the night before. Like, I was out of control, but not as out of control as I got after my divorce. So this is when shit really hit the fan and it got real bad for me. Um, soon after my divorce, I moved downtown Detroit, got a place down there, started hanging out with the wrong people. Then cocaine was introduced to me and I loved it. I, I'm not going to, I loved it. Yeah. It gave me the ability to escape myself. It gave me the ability to drink more. And I was hooked. I was hooked. I was hooked. I was hooked. And it took over everything in my life. And for the next two years living there, I tore everything down around me as fast as possible. I, I think there was a 14 month period where there wasn't one day that went by. I wasn't drinking or doing Coke. Um, I drove everyone away from me who gave a shit about me. You know, my family's reaching out to me. I'm so embarrassed of myself, my, what, how I'm acting. I'm so angry at the world of why me, why does this person do this, 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 it's their fault. And like, I was ashamed. And it hurt, hurt me deeply inside, like not to be with them and talk to them. But there's no way I was going to bring myself around them the way I was. Like I wanted to hide. I was hiding and I was running from all the bad shit that happened to me in the past. I was running from all of my past, like bad memories. And I, I wanted to die, honestly. Like I wanted to die. I was doing all the hard party drugs. I was drinking every day. I, I convinced myself that God would forgive me if I just died because it'd be an accident. You know, I contemplated jumping off. Of, you know, I sat on top of a, like a parking garage one time, just looking down, you know, saying, I won't feel it won't hurt. Will this kill me? Will I make it? Will I be a vegetable the rest of my life? Will I be paralyzed? And one time 
I, I, I got rushed to the hospital three times, almost going to cardiac arrest because the potassium level was so low in my body, right? My heart was going to stop. And one day I was on end of like a four day bender. I took this pill and I collapsed and hit the floor. And next thing I know, I wake up, I'm strapped to a gurney in a hospital in downtown Detroit, trying to rip up the restraints, trying to fight everybody. I'm screaming at the doctor. I'm out of control at this point. And because they thought like I tried to kill myself. Mm -hmm. That's why they strapped me to it. And maybe subconsciously I did, or I was, I was, I was trying to kill myself. I, I didn't want to live anymore. And I, it was the darkest place I've ever been in my life. To be honest with you, like I, I was, I didn't have hockey anymore. Drove my family away from me. I was blowing all my money. You know, all the people around me, I thought were my friend. They were just distractions. You know, they knew I had money. They knew I could just buy everything. So that's why they hung out with me. And I obliged because they enabled me. Yeah. And I got arrested again. You know, got thrown in down in jail in downtown Detroit. I rec don't recommend that you get thrown in there, but spent okay. three days there before I uh, got bailed out. And that was the first time I went to treatment. You know, what year is this? Uh, is that 2019? Okay. Yeah, end of, end of 2019, I believe. Okay. So, and I did it because my family, you know, knew what was going on. They knew what happened and they wanted me to get help. My, I wasn't ready to help myself. And um, I did, the, you know, what everyone else did does at that point. I, I obliged just to get them off my back, you know, and get out. It looked better in my court case if I went to rehab, right? That's why I did it. Yeah. I only went for 10 days. You know, they want me to go for 30. I'm like, no, I'm not doing 30. You nuts. Like, I don't need this. I'm not a crackhead. I do coke and I drink. Like, I don't need to be here. I'm not shooting heroin. Like, that's who I was. I was judging people like they're different from me, you know? Yeah. And I thought AA people are a bunch of cult cultists. They're in a cult. They're all freaking nuts. They're talking about higher power. and That's the only way you can save me. And I was just like, dude, like I can do this. Like, all right, I'm sorry. I went off the rails a little bit, but I can get it back on my own. I can do this, yeah. you know, and got out of there. I think I was sober for like three days before I started doing drugs and drinking again. You know, I was right off to right off back to it. I was going to IOP. I was using synthetic urine to pass my drug test at IOP, you know, I was playing the game and no, like I just went right back to it, dude. My, my girlfriend at the time, like kicked me out of the apartment. I was living in a hotel, you know, I was 
back to drinking and using every single day. Um, then I got put on probation. This was like when COVID all happened, right? So COVID happened, I got put on probation and I was like, all right, I'm on probation. Like, I don't have a job anymore. I'm not working. I, I'm run, like, I'm blowing all my money. Like I'm living in a fucking hotel. Like, what am I doing? And I answer ad and there's like this U.S. coaching board thing like, online about like to come out to Boston to work at a summer camp for like six weeks. So I was like, this will probably be good for me. I'm going to get out of here for six weeks. I'm going to go there, do this, and possibly sober up. So I, that's where I live now. I live in Boston. And I ended up staying here. Believe it or not, like the guy running the program, like he's, he's a godsend, man. Like he's done so much for me since I've been out here. Um, I'll talk about that a little later on, but like he ran a good hockey program. He's teaching me a lot. He's like, you want to stay? Like my buddy's looking for a business development guy. I was like, sure. So I interviewed, got the job. Um, I'm still on probation. But, I mean, I was getting random drug tested, like, once a month. I didn't use. I stayed clean for over a year. And all I I was doing was working. I wasn't working these programs, though. I wasn't praying, you know. I wasn't working on myself. All I I was isolating myself and working. Then I convinced myself that I could just drink and I won't use drugs. Addict mind, right? It's telling me that. So what do I end up doing? I pick up a drink. And I am, I have a bag of Coke on me within an hour. Off again, six months. Everything I built up over the last year, flushing it down the toilet as fast as I can. Ruining all my relationships. Pushing everyone away from me again. Um, you know, I got, then again, my life was coming, becoming unmanageable. You know, I checked myself, uh, you know, my, my bosses were noticing this about me, my girlfriend, and I was breaking her heart every single day. You know, she, I would disappear. I'd be parked down the street around the corner, you know, drinking myself to death and she'd be crying her eyes out banging on the window like what are you doing like crying and i would just then it hit me like they just like will you go get help so i checked myself in to a detox facility went away for 30 days um stopped doing work shortly after like stopped doing the program, stopped going to AA. And like two weeks later, I was back using again, you know, and it's it's because I didn't want it yet. You know, I wasn't ready. And I went off again for, I don't know how, until November. And fast forward, I was sitting on the side of a highway 
high and drunk off my ass waiting for a car to jump in front of. Mm. I was once again in this dark place where I felt like I was I had no way out. And I was sitting there, you know, my girlfriend's calling me, sending it straight to voicemail. And I was just crying and just waiting, trying to get the courage, trying to get drunk enough that I can open that door and just step out in front of a car. You know, then we all over. Then this cop drives by, hmm. sees me parked on the side of the road, turns around. That's when I just take off. I take off. So I don't know what happened if that cop didn't drive by that night. You know, maybe it was a God sending me help, let me know it's not my time yet. But so, yeah, I'm at the end of my road again. I'm, this girlfriend here, she just kicked me out of the apartment. I, I'm i to a point where I have the shakes. Like, I can't get out of bed and walk. Like, I'm crawling on the floor trying to get the bottle of vodka so I can just feel a little bit normal. Like, I, I'm like 190 pounds. Actually, not this time. I was, no, I was big. I was, I, got big. I was up 220 pounds. I'm 190. I'm 210 now. But I was 225 pounds at that time because I was eating trash. I was bloated, drinking two bottles of vodka a day. And my bosses and my girlfriend said, will you go get help? And I did. I checked myself into Green Mountain in New Hampshire, which is an awesome place, dude. I highly recommend it. Um, there's something, I had a spiritual experience when I was there. I, I was there and they had me on Librium. I don't know if you've ever been on that. But I don't think I have been on that one. Turned you into a walking zombie, dude. And been on familiar, I've been on similar ones then. I don't know if it's that one, but I know the feeling. Yeah, I'm restless, irritable, discontent. I'm ripping my skin off like I just want to get the hell out of this place. Like, so I'm trying to fight a nurse. I was telling her I'm not taking this shit anymore. I want to call my girlfriend just to talk to her. Right. And she makes a deal. She goes, I'll let you, because it's a 10 day blackout period up there. You can't use your phone at all. They take your cell phone and everything, but you can't make a call whatsoever. So she allows me to make a call. So I make a call. I talk to her. She calms me down. I take the medicine. I go for a walk. And I was really like, I love like my grandmother meant a lot to me and her name's Lucille. She always made me laugh. Like, like unbelievable. I have really, really fond memories being with her when I was younger. And I was up on this back of this hill and I was talking to her. I was looking at the sky. I'm like, grandma, like, will you please just send me a sign like that I'm in the right place where I need to be right now. Just please help me. I'll do anything. Just let me know. The next day I go through all my groups in the morning, evening, whatnot. And gym times at five o'clock. I put my gym gear on. They told me 
don't go work out because of detox and I'll probably have a heart attack. But me, knowing me, I'm like, no, I'm going to go do something. I'm walking down to the gym and this girl passes by and she goes, hey, I like your shorts. I, I was wearing these pink shorts. You know, hockey players like short shorts, right? So I was wearing these real tight pink shorts. They were pretty sweet, but <laughs> I go, I go, oh, thank you. I'm like, oh, you must be new here. Did you just get here? She's like, yeah. Hi, my name's Lucille. Wow. And I've only known, that was the second Lucille I've ever met in my life. I've lived all around the world, been everywhere. I've only met one Lucille before that. She was the second. And that's incredible. That, that's a sign for sure, man. Dude, my... I didn't know what to say. I I looked at her like I saw a ghost. And she's probably like, you're all right? But I was like, oh, nice to meet you. Yeah, I go. I ran around. I didn't go to the gym. I went out back. Found this place no one was. And I just started bawling my eyes out. I started crying like harder than I ever cried in my life. And I looked up and I said, really? Really? I'm like, really? I'm like, all right. So I promised her uh, to give my everything to this. And from that point on, I was all in. I was all in. Like, I made my recovery my life up there. Dude, I was waking up at four in the morning. I was running laps around this hill, up this hill, around. I was doing all my chores. I was a chore sergeant <laughs> up there. Like, I was in charge of chores, and people were coming to me, like, Patrick, what's my next chore? <laughs> and I'm like, whatever. But like, I started working the steps of AA, dude. Like, I was there for 45 days. I wrote, they run an intense program up there. So you see a therapist about your past traumas or whatnot. Yeah. Um, you work, work the steps of AA. Like, they take you through the whole book. I, like I said, I was all in. I was writing two, three hours a day on my fourth step. And it's my personal inventory. Yeah. I had notebooks, five of them, full like this. 43rd day I was there, I read to somebody. It took me four hours to read this thing. Four hours. I don't know if you read it every four hours. My eyes were going cross-eyed. I, I couldn't see the lines. But I told this dude who I, he was an older gentleman there, like, his name's Mike. If he's listening, love you, Mike. Um, we were there together the first time, and I took it as a sign from God that I was supposed to read to him because I I really appreciate all his help with everything. He was someone I, I turned to there. Um, I read to him. I told him stuff I swore I was going to take to my grave. Mm -hmm. I never told anyone in my life. And from that day on, I haven't thought about it since. It's incredible what uh, what can happen when you talk about like the the fourth and fifth step there, but just really sharing with with God and another human being, yeah, the nature of our wrongs and and the people who have harmed us, all the stuff, all the shit that nobody wants to talk about, um, you know. Yeah. And that was, you know, for me, anyways, I did those things too. 
but I've said this uh, in many past episodes. I went like 90, I did like 95% of the work. Like to anybody else, it looks like a lot of work that I did all the work, but I was holding back secrets, skeletons in my closet still that I wasn't willing to share. And because I wasn't willing to go all the way, that's why I found I kept being in this cycle of, uh, you know, get clean for a while or go to recovery for a while and then relapse. And until, you know, we're willing to to really look at that. And, you know, I'm so, so glad to hear that they, you know, work back to that past trauma. And there's so many things running through my mind right now. First of all, thank you so much for sharing all of that yeah. with, with me and with everybody. Um, incredible. And, you know, so glad that that cop drove by that night. You know, that story resonates with me. I was in a very similar situation, man. But actually, the cops actually put me in the back of the cruiser and took me to the psych ward when it happened. But because I didn't have a car at that point, but so many similar stories. And I know that there's people that are going to be watching or listening to this that, you know, that that can certainly relate. And, you know, you're living proof today. Now, you know, you think back to that pain, that hopelessness feeling on that night and how you felt in comparison to how you feel today. And you probably feel like that was never going to happen. No, I didn't see any way, way out. Like I, I didn't see any way out. I wanted, I thought that was just going to be the only way out of my pain and misery. I didn't want to face, you know, my past, you know, I didn't want to face the shit I did in the past to hurt people. I didn't want to like forgive people who hurt me. Right. And that's something you have to do. And until you face that shit and start working through all that stuff, your addiction is always going to catch up to you. You're always going to find a reason to drink and do drugs if you don't get rid of this shit. And it'll eat at you every single day. And yes, it hurts. It's painful to revisit this stuff, right? Um, working with a therapist, and I, I got out of there. And I went to IOP, which I just finished. I was there for almost like three months since December. Yeah, I've been there since December. Three hours a day, five days a week, and they do an awesome job there. Like the clinicians, everyone, and like I've met so many amazing people along this journey. That I've been on, like this person is heroin, this person is pink. We're all the same, regardless. And like just hearing their stories and how it resonates and learning more about people because addicts were just selfish human beings. I was so selfish, mm. you know, for so long. All I cared about was me. What can this person do for me? Like, what about me? Like, no one cares. Like, me, 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 me. And this whole process has made me, like, into a totally different person where I want to help people now. I actually care. I want to get to know people. You know, and a lot of that's because, like, I'm, for the first time in my life right now, like, I am comfortable with myself for the first time in my life because I'm putting in the work. I'm going to therapy. Like, I'm doing the IOP. Like, I did my fourth pista. I go to meetings. I talk to people. And I've learned through this whole thing, a big thing for me was acceptance. Yeah. Acceptance was the answer to all my problems. 
Like when I start accepting people, places, or things for how they are, my life got a whole lot better because I've learned like we we all see the world differently, have different perspectives, and we create this delusion or a self like how the world should be to us, how people should act, how things should unfold. We set expectations. And when these expectations are not met, that's when we start sliding. That's when we relapse. That's when we're like, oh, this person, how dare you? I took it. You didn't do this. I would do that this way. So now I'm going to get pissed off and my whole day's ruined. Or I get stuck in traffic. My whole day's ruined. This guy cuts me off. I'm going to go drink. I'm going to find an excuse, right? Because every time that happens, it goes back to a painful memory in my past that comes up that I haven't faced yet. And I, you know, I really didn't get into it too much, but, you know, there was, you know, sexual abuse involved in my story, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something that happened to me, you know, in my early teens. And, you know, I, I talk about it because, you know, this, I heard this one guy at this meeting talk about it and it empowered me to start talking about it. You know, I'm sure like yourself. And until I revisited that, you know, working the steps and acknowledging it and stop avoiding it, it's always going to be right there, right there. Mm -hmm. And like when everything, when every, anything happened in my life, for some reason I got mad. I thought back, back to that time or I thought back to my father and I would just go in this spiral, like for no reason and just start drinking and using and trying to get out of myself because I was so scared to actually feel sad. You know, it's okay. It's okay to let yourself feel sad. Like, and I've learned like, dude, I don't have bad days anymore. I have challenging days now. Yeah. Like I'm I love so that. grateful for every single day now. Like I see the world through a different lens these days. Like it's, mm -hmm. You know, because, like, things don't go my way, but who the hell am I to say, like, oh, yeah, I have, like, in order for, here's what we, or what I did. I had this way the world's supposed to be, right, expectations. And when these expectations aren't met in my self-delusion world I created for myself, that's when it's the okay for me to get upset, be abusive to people, be abusive to myself, get angry. The only time I get angry and upset is when something happens that I deem unacceptable. And that's not the way this world works, right? And it's hard because you think the same way <laughs> your whole well, you're, life. You're damn right it's hard. But like, dude, like someone ran into my car the other day and I would have went off the rails before, but I was like, well, eh, you know what? There's an accident, shit happens, whatever. 
It's, and it's, isn't it amazing when you can get to that place? There's certain, I've come a long way too, but still I find when I'm playing hockey and I've had some bad experience in the senior hockey league I'm playing in. So that, that I still need to work on, but yeah. much to your point, there's a, there is, it's amazing, right? Because it's not just about that car that's that, you know, was hit in that instance. It's you talk about your childhood and thank you for sharing again yeah. uh, with me and with everybody. And, and, you know, again, you obviously know you're not alone. I'm another survivor and I know there's multiple other people watching and listening. Um, and to anybody that, you know, is, is also a survivor and, and you feel that you haven't been able to, to share that with somebody and you're carrying that around by yourself. You know, we're here to tell you that, you know, one, you're not alone and two, you, you just don't have to carry that by yourself anymore. There's people out there like us that care and will listen and, and, Unfortunately, it's way, way too common of a story. Yeah. And uh, so many uh, young boys, men are are walking around feeling immense amounts of shame and guilt surrounding it and not feeling empowered enough to to ask for help and share. And so thank you for, for bringing that up um, tonight. And now I kind of forget what I was going to loop that back into. Um, I'll come back to it. I don't know what I was talking to you about that before, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's just thank you for sharing that. It's incredibly yeah. it's incredibly powerful for people um, to hear that as hard as it is. And, uh, you know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. That's the when I was talking earlier about the 95 percent, like I would do the 95 percent. I was uh, that 5 percent that I wasn't talking about was the sexual abuse that I went through. And turns out that what I thought was 5% was actually like I did 5% of the work and still had 95% of the work to do because I wasn't willing to go down that road. And, um, you know, just I'll share my experience with you. You know, early on in my recovery this this time around, I did I did some therapy, you know, for for the trauma and, and you know, I was feeling pretty good. And I got to a place where, you know, I got, you know, complacent a little bit and was like, oh, and things are still pretty good. And though I haven't relapsed, I've recently come to realize that like, holy shit, I need to revisit this because other things have happened in my life now and challenges. And like, I found myself like still going back to places that I don't want to go back to. That doesn't mean picking up drugs or alcohol, but I just mean mentally. And I can see where like all of a sudden I could go back to that. Oh, I know what I was going to say now, that place of like self-sabotage. I was going to say, because there's power in that. Like I was saying, it was not just about that car. Let's say your car gets hit. It's about knowing the fact that you were like myself, very angry at a young age. And that anger would come out and being able to harness that anger in those moments and not snap. Like there's so much power in that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's give, it's tough. Like it's, it's like you're playing God, right? Like you decide what's acceptable and what's not like, you know, shit happens. And like, dude, I live, I call it unconditional happiness. My happiness is not conditioned on anything else. I have shit days some days, but I'm happy because you know what? I I'm starting to see the full circle of life, the, all the emotions. The sad, the happy, the frustrated, the angry. I appreciate them now. You know why? Because I'm alive. I'm alive and I get to experience all of those emotions because that's the whole part of this human experience, right? I am grateful that I get to feel that. And like I said, it's unbelievable. I see the world through a totally different lens now, you know, and 
you know, when I wasn't facing, you know, that past trauma, I was still giving that power to that person over me. They were still women. They were still killing me every day, right? I was killing myself every day over something that happened to me so long ago. You know, I took that power back. I'm like, you know what? I forgave that person. Absolutely. I had to. If I didn't forgive them, you know, if I didn't forgive all the people in my life who ever wronged me or who did bad stuff to me, like I was just hurting myself, you know, and it starts with forgiveness for those people. Then you have to learn how to forgive yourself, which is one of the hardest things, right? Right. 150%. I'm still, there's still many things that, essentially haunt me in in different ways and and, you know just you know three years plus now of doing this and sharing my story and you know I haven't been uh, you know I don't go to meetings I've been to so many meetings in my life over the years I've done I've done it I just don't I, I this time around I didn't and I support I've gone to a few I've gone and done like cakes and spoke at people's you know cakes and things but I think especially where I live, the recovery community isn't that strong when it comes to AA and NA. We're kind of in the middle of nowhere and there aren't a ton of great meetings. So that was a big reason why. And, and also COVID, everything was shut down. So, you know, but it's to me, it's like. It's a it's such a journey. And you talk about earlier on when someone was like, yeah, I think you should stay here for 30 days right in rehab or whatever. And 30 days seems like so long. Right. And, and all of a sudden you say you go for 45 days and, and things change, but then you realize that, holy, like, this is going to be for the rest of my life. And it's not just about that period of time in a detox or a rehab facility. It's, it's about learning how to live on life's terms without drugs and alcohol. And it's in those situations where your car is being hit and life happens and being in a position where you have tools in your tool belt or whatever you want to say to, or, you know, and that could be people and support networks. It could be meetings. It could be any number of things, but being able to apply those. And so is that something that you feel like more confident in and around this time, because as you shared, like you've you've been here before, and and you know, and I, that was me too. And I, we're all just one bad choice away from from slipping up again. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, is, what well, like what's the main thing? I guess you know, for people listening, you're tell us too. Like, so you're five. You just celebrated five months, right? Yeah. Yep. Five months, man. I feel better than I've ever been. I, I am the happiest I've ever been in my entire life because I thought recovery the first time I went to treatment a couple of times was just about being sober, staying, staying abstinent. Right. And the model of addiction says abstinence without a spiritual solution is hard. And that means if you don't face the shit that causes you to drink, you're going to drink again. You're going to find any excuse to. So like, this time, recovery to me is about creating a life where it's easier not to use. Creating a better life, being happy, finding yourself and actually getting through all those past resentments. And oh, being, yeah. Bingo on that one. Past yeah. resentments is huge. Yeah. And huge. Dude, I, I went to sober living after 
For Imagine sure. that when someone first suggested you were going to do 30 days in a rehab center the first time, and then you end up going to sober living. Oh, dude, like I was, but that there again, I was taking back my will, right? What I want to do, not yeah. what's good for me, right? Not what, I, not what I have to do. What should I, should, I want to do what I want to do because I'm an addict and I'm selfish. And I know what's best, but no, I was like, I'm going, I, this is me taking back my will. I'm going to go to sober living, right? It's incredible. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge move. And I think you know, there's something to be said about that. There's people, I know there's a couple, I got a couple messages today, people that listen and watch the show. There's two people that are going to treatment today, actually. And, you know, my advice is don't rush through whatever that process looks for, it, for anybody, whether it's in detox or rehab facility, whether it's outpatient, whatever you're doing, like just give yourself grace and be patient and and just trust the process and that was me i was always in such a rush i was like oh 30 days i don't need 30 days i'm gonna leave early and i got it and you know and then i would relapse you know and it it's about actually committing to the process and knowing to your point that you're gonna have to get out of your own way and do some shit that you don't necessarily want to do because yeah. our best thinking we know where that got us yeah got me drunk stupid <laughs> on verge of killing myself like that's what my thinking does yeah like, i i don't like to speak for like everyone's recovery is their own but for someone like me there is no middle of the road solution none i couldn't take parts of a oh i'll do this but not that yeah i'll do this but not that i'll go away for 30 days but i'm not going to solo i'm not going to iop like I needed that time to myself, like, and I needed this to be away from everything. No cell phones. I needed a safe environment where I could detox and start working on myself, doing the real spiritual work. You know, this is a spiritual disease. I was broken spiritually down to my core yeah. when I went there. I had no life in me. Whatever light that was coming from me was gone. And I am so grateful. I gave myself the opportunity to do that. And I did the work and I continue to do the work. Like I, was, I just said, I just wrapped up IOP. I was there for months and like the people there and just hearing stories and working with each other on a daily basis helped me going to meetings, talking with my sponsor, you know, like I said, I wake up in the morning. I read these books. I read the short stories out of AA. I write, I pray, I meditate. You know, I ask God, you know, to remove the obsession, want and need the drink from me and do drugs. And I go to meetings. I go to two or three a week discussion and like, group meetings, which I love. Cause, and I like helping people, like even the IOP program, like I, I just loved helping each other. If someone asked me for advice on stuff yeah. like that, you know, I'd give them advice and cause no addicts and alcoholics, like no one knows what we think and what we feel. We feel so judged all the time, right? We feel like we're the only ones in this world. And like, just to be in a room with people like that and listen to them and 
it helps me as much as it helps them asking me for advice. Right. And it's, there's so many good people that don't think they deserve happiness. You know, like myself, I don't think I deserve to be happy. I couldn't forgive myself for things I did in the past. Uh, You know, it's either. So my faith helped me in this. Like I, my, my God, my higher power, he forgives me for what I've done in the past. So how can I not forgive myself? Mm. Right. And he's not a punishing God. Like he's a loving God. He wants love for me and he wants me to love myself. And it's either I'm going to be stuck living in the past, killing myself every day, or I'm going to get real honest, start talking about it, allow myself to be vulnerable, you know, get the help I need, talk about it and move past it. You know, and it's, it's, you know, it's like, um, it's like a dog with electric collar on its neck, right? It goes up against that fence and it gets zapped. And he's like, oh no, right? It hurts. That was like me facing my old, my past. But if that dog leans into that thing, he'll get used to that, that real quick. And eventually it's going to be uncomfortable. But as he pushes more and more, he's through. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be real uncomfortable for a while here. I'm not going to like stuff that's brought up. But I know it's not going to last forever. So I leaned into that pain, that uncomfort, leaned into it. And eventually I was like, yeah, this sucks, but it's not as bad (laughs) as it used to be. I'm not going back there. And I was through. And I'm still working on it every day, man. Like you said, it's everyday process. But just give yourself the opportunity to do it because it will change your life. Yeah. And and it's definitely changed yours. I mean, we talked on the phone the other day and we talked kind of about life after hockey and, and sort of the way, you know, we, I asked you, you know, did you watch much hockey when you retired? Cause you know, we we had a good laugh about how much we didn't watch it and how much we essentially resented it and, and all of that. We don't need to get into all of that, but I, it was just, you know, sort of a, a question I had for you. Cause that's, you know, was my feeling. I couldn't watch hockey. I never dreamed that, you know, I would ever find a place where I would want to be involved or even could be involved in a coaching aspect or or anything. Like, I couldn't watch it, didn't even have a stick of man, didn't, don't want to go on the ice, could, like, forget it. And I'm just, you know, you were kind of the same. And so tell people kind of, like, what it was like and, and where you're at now because certainly not the case. I, I hated hockey. I, I despise everything about it i had all my memory like all my old hockey stuff all my trophies all my you know jerseys in the basement sort of way i wouldn't look at them i wouldn't watch hockey on tv um you know people would ask me to go to wings games i was like nope not doing it i'm not going to watch guys i played against you know those resentments coming up i didn't want to be anywhere near it i hated everything about it and it wasn't until, you know, I'm starting to watch hockey again now. Like, I actually kind of enjoy watching it. And my job now is I teach it. I teach power skating and stick handling. Dude, I love it. Like, I never... Hold on, I got to give you, I got to give you the... Yeah, I got to bust out the horn at some point. I it's love like it. a Daddy Yankee song. Should I yeah. start rapping? <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, no, like I work with kids like five, all of like 17. And the feeling I get when some kid figures it out and gets something that I'm teaching him and it clicks and he gets it, like is the best feeling in this whole world, honestly. Like I love, like I don't even call it work. Like I, I know. Dude, it's, I, I absolutely love it. And like, even though like I want to kill when I kill half of them when I'm on the ice with like 35, eight year olds and seven year olds, it's like herding cats out there. Like one kid's like putting snow in his mouth. The other kid's slashing a kid in the head. <laughs> like dude, it just reminds me of like when I was a kid and like, just like how much fun it can be. And like when you go through the stuff that we have, you forget what hockey is, man. It's a kid's game. It's yeah. fun. And you lose that in you. And like once that's gone, dude, it gets bad. But like it's I'm living my dream right now, to be honest with you. Because I like I'd like to think I'm pretty good at it. I, yeah, I'm good at it. Like I'm good with kids. I love being on the ice with them, you know. I'm a big kid myself. Yeah. But dude, I couldn't I finally found my purpose that I was searching for, for so long, you know, I was, I thought my purpose was just to be a hockey player, you know, until I was freaking 36, which I am now, then, you know, just hang them up and do something. But like, even more than playing in the NHL or playing professional hockey for 10 years, like I did, this is my purpose. Yeah. Is I love it. I love that. I know the the very much the same, man. It's uh, it's about so much more. I, I always tell people like the best way I can explain it is hockey is sort of like when when you're on your own journey. It's again, it's like kind of being an addict. Like it's very selfish. You're thinking about you trying to get that next getting drafted or getting the contract or going like it's it's very self centered and coaching. Yeah. Coaching gets us out of that. And that's sort of, you know, it goes back to you, you know, the service work, even if you're just talk, being of service, talking to someone who's struggling, right? And and being there for somebody else. And, and it feels so good, right? And it's that same sort of thing with, with coaching. And I absolutely love it. I have no doubt you're incredible at it. Obviously, you were an, a, an elite, elite hockey player and have just an abundance of knowledge and and your charisma and, and your personality is is terrific. Obviously, the kids probably latch right onto you. But I also think that the life experience that you've you've had on the hard the hard side that we talked about here tonight is such an asset as well for you know young athletes or just anybody to have somebody around that in a mentorship role that can kind of offer some some life advice and, and steer them in the right direction because like i had nobody doing that for me and i felt like i had to figure it out myself the whole way through and i i could failed miserably doing it yeah yeah dude it's i would like that's a that's the person i want to be man it's like someone you know i'm pretty sure i can see a kid if he's struggling right and just go and let them know that it's okay you know to talk to someone about it because i never really got that and that probably would have helped me out a lot and i just wish someone was like that for me so i want to be that person and i'm going to interview for a job at a detox facility on wednesday man like nice. like um you know i love it like i it's not only good for me but i i love 
helping people, man, like kids, adults, like I've been through it all. Like I know what it's like. I just want these people to know if you're out there struggling still, if you're unsure, if you don't think there's any way out, there is. Just give yourself the opportunity to do that, please, because it'll save your life. You know, like they saved mine. But, you know, like you said, it's an everyday process. I'm never going to get rid of this thing. You know, like, and I'm okay with that. You know, it's, I can't drink. Not that I want to drink anymore. Like, it's, like, you give me one beer, you won't see me for three yeah. weeks. Like, I'll be off and running again. I always tell everybody if I'll I'll break out in in heroin or fentanyl and handcuffs and that that'll be it. That's what I tell people. <laughs> you Dude, don't want to see that. That's another thing. Like cocaine is my drug. It's laced with fentanyl now. It's people dropping left and right from that stuff, man. It's scary. But like, even when I was using, it, I didn't care. I was like, give it to me. Like, I'll yeah. roll the dice on this one. How idiotic is that? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy and. that's 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 addiction that's you know it's again we you kind of hit the nail on the head at the beginning of the podcast too how you said you know you were in a position where you used to judge people and be like oh it's a willpower thing they're weak i was the same way growing up i was like what a loser person's homeless what the hell's wrong with them or that person whatever losing their job but like come on figure it out and then all of a sudden i'm that person going holy shit was i ever wrong Yeah, well, guys like you and me, man, to play at hockey, the level we have, like a lot, like to reach that level, you have to have willpower. I had all the willpower in the world. Like I reached the pinnacle. Like you've reached like really high points of your hockey career. Like you're really good. Like you have to have willpower to do that. Right. And I was like, I looked down at these people. I was like, oh, these losers, like make a choice. You can just stop. Like how it's so ignorant because yeah. I didn't understand it. Yeah. Right. I didn't understand it. And that's why, like, you know, I wanted to come on here and I have so much admiration for you for doing what you're doing because you're helping so many people. Like I want to get rid of this stigma, not only like be a macho man, don't talk about your feelings, like be tough, get back on the ice. Like, no, like if you're having a hard time, you can talk about it. If something happens to you, you can talk about it. You're not alone. If you have a drug problem or alcohol problem, you can talk about it. It's okay. You're not crazy. You're not weird. You're not a bad person. You are a human being going through some stuff. That's it. You know? Amen. That's, uh, that's incredible. I we're gonna wrap it up here in a few minutes. I'd love yeah. to have you back on the show again here soon. But let's just want to get to a couple quick comments. We'll be able to get to all of them probably. Um, David Murphy's watching said, "This man is a true inspiration to myself and others at Elevate Recovery." Yeah, David, the man. Yeah, Mark Mark Mazak or Mazak Mazak, I think says, "I second that Murph." So grateful to know Pat. Yeah, thanks for watching, guys. And I, I agree. It's uh, you know, I feel grateful to to know you too, man. And I'm just so I'm proud of you for for everything that you've been through. And and before we get into another comment, just before I forget, like, you know, there's a you know, there's a lot of stuff there that you've been through. 
you know, uh, again, a lot of relatabilities. My mom left when I was little, different circumstances, but a lot of the same abandonment and those experiences and that trauma. And then you talk about the sexual abuse and all of that. Like, there's a lot there. And for, and you're right. Like, you think back to everything that you've accomplished while like going through that and going through that on your own all those years in the environment that you know we were both in in hockey you can't talk about it can't like holy shit right so i i just really wanted to highlight that too where you said you were proud of yourself for your accomplishments because that's really it's important right because i think a lot of people especially like hockey players like you play uh, you played in the nhl but again you feel like it's never enough, right? Like, oh, you played this many games. It should have been that many games. But yeah. it's like, let's just forget that for a minute and just focus on the fact that you were fucking there. Like, holy shit. Like, that's, you know, that's incredible. So I just, I love that you said that. And I hope you can, you can continue to be proud of yourself, not just for that, but for other things as well. Yeah. Danny, my uh, old skills coach from mine as a kid, he's, I think he lives in the Philippines now still. He says, hey guys, another great podcast, Brady. Let's catch up soon. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Dylan Turner watching from Windsor. He says, I remember watching him play. Uh, Andrew Barrett also saying nasty player. And uh, Dylan saying, Brady, can you let him know? It was an honor to have him play for the Spitz. Uh, for the year he was there, he was very talented. Um, and he want, uh, Andrew wants to know, did he play with Azevedo in Kitchener? Yeah. Yeah, as yeah, he's a good player. I'm not sure who that is. I don't think I was. Yeah, there. Justin Azevedo. Yeah, I played with him. He's in uh, the KHL right now. Okay, okay, yeah. Justin Azevedo. Yeah, uh, Dylan sharing with us too says I was clean for over a year after getting off methadone. I'm not back in active addiction. Does that say I'm now or not, Dylan? Um, I'll have to clarify that. Uh, it's good to hear someone else's story. He's saying, I think he said he's not in active addiction anymore saying he's playing two hockey twice a week that's awesome hockey for me i mean just being on the ice uh and even at the synthetic i've been coaching on synthetic because they take all the ice out here yeah. in a small town and even being there just ripping pucks hearing like the the sounds of puck hitting the you know the bar or whatever like that it, it's incredible what it does for my mental health you know just no one else is around. I'll sit there and shoot like a couple hundred pucks and just feel great after and not doing it because I'm trying to make it to the NHL, just doing it because I enjoy doing it. You know what I mean? Dude, just the smell of the ice rink, the Zamboni and the dirty locker rooms. Best. I love it. Like I'll just go in there and sit in there. There's nothing better than that smell. That absolute, so happiness. The absolute best too. And Danny just saying, I can certainly relate and identify to the core. Thank you for sharing. And, uh, Last one we'll get here to here. Um, one of Andrew's comments here says, been some tough times here, man. Thanks for sharing. Um, if I didn't have hockey right now, I don't think I'd still be here. So, um, yeah, no, Andrew and, and Andrew will share one more just for, and he says, Brady got me back into hockey. It's been life-changing for me. I've been playing up to five days a week. It's what keeps me going. And my three kids, there's better days ahead. Stay strong. Uh, that's my buddy, Andrew. So actually he sent me a message a couple of years ago, I guess, coming up on and we kind of chatted briefly and then like kind of got disconnected for a while and he was you know using again and and all of that i believe and then he reached out to me and said he had been you know in recovery for a little while and he really wanted to get back on the ice and i was something in me was just like man like let's help this guy get back on the ice right i i, I made a, a quick phone call to my good friends at true hockey who have done, you know, been incredible to me um, and, and then made a post and, and, you know, 
few people got together, like four or five people contributed some money. We were able to get them like brand new skates, brand new stick, gloves, like all from True Hockey, brand new. And then it just so turned out that I was going to be in BC. He lives just outside of Vancouver in and around that time. So I was able to get them shipped out there and I got to deliver them to him. We went to stick and puck on the ice together. It was it was a really cool experience, mostly too, just to see him get back on the ice, but to see the people come together, the people at True and then the people on social media who all knew, didn't know each other but we're like hey i want to help i want to help and the story came together and now you you reading here like he's been on the ice five days a week and it's really made a difference for his life so i love that great it's awesome but yeah listen i am i am beyond proud of you and we got to get you i'm unfortunately i can't cross the border still right now um the listeners know because of my my criminal history (laughs) but I'm working on it i'm working on it so i want to come down to i want to come down to boston actually my business uh where I am right now in Susan's house is where the puck support and the podcast. I don't live here anymore, but her uncle's Harry Sinden, who's worked for the Boston Bruins since like 1966 or something like that. It's so I would, I would love to come down to Boston, but you'll probably be able to come to Canada first. I'd love to get you up here. We should do something together on the ice. Yeah, for sure, man. We're going to stay in touch. We'll get something together. I'd love it. Great. Yeah, man. And, and keep, keep sharing your story and and keep being of service and, and good luck at the job interview. I think that's incredible to be able to, to, to work in a facility like that. And, and again, to, to help others. And, and then you're coaching as well. It sounds to me like a pretty damn good life. Yeah, man. I've never been happier ever. I love it, buddy. Okay. Well, thank you again so much for sharing. I look forward to having you again on soon. And uh, of course we'll be chatting with you real soon. All right. Thanks buddy. I'll see you. Okay. Thanks buddy. Oh, that is Patrick Davis. What an episode. That's that's what I'm here for. That's why I started the show right there. Vulnerability, truth. Thank you, Patrick, for... You know, I, I kind of said it to him at the beginning, and I I've love all my guests. I've been very fortunate that I've had some incredible guests on the show. But sometimes people are willing and ready to just share and be honest and that to me is where there's the most value in doing a show like this because that's relatable that's real life it's not trying to cover up all the shit and everyone like oh i just wish everyone could find that that vulnerability it's what saved my life it's what saved patrick's life and by doing that, it in, it empowers others to to feel the same way. And honestly, it's life saving. Let me hear a quick message from our friends Nick Kiprios, well, mostly Doug McLean here, and we'll be back to wrap up the show. I'm going to give away some blade tape. I forgot to mention it in the intro. We're going to give away some blade tape. My friend Adrian owns blade tape for all my hockey players out there that love the tricks this will take you to the next level go follow them on instagram at blade tape send out some blade tape here when we get back be right back a hat this is this was given to me by brady lebo who started this group called puck support and i'll tell you what it's a great organization brady sent me this uh that's awesome i've been on brady's show Brady uh, is a kid that played uh, major junior hockey, was with the uh, 
the Tampa Bay Lightning for a short time had had uh, some major drug challenges in his young career, and he's taken this upon himself to help families who have who have had challenges and lost lost young players because of mental health. This hat I have on has a logo on the inside of it with Todd Hewen's name on it. Todd played for me in St. Yeah. Louis, and he That's had right. you know obviously we lost Todd a number of years ago. This T-shirt has, oh, my God, Bob Probert's name on the inside of it. And that's what they do with all the things. So, look, if you can check it out. Thank you to Doug McLean, friend of the show. I got to get Mac back on the show here. Kipper 2. Pucksupport.com. At Pucksupport. If you use the promo code EASTER for the next couple of days, you're going to save 20% off. It's right there on the screen. It's supposed to say 20% off. 20% off this week only. For the next couple of days, pucksupport.com. Thank you to everybody who's supported puck support over the last couple of years could have never imagined starting a clothing line and then a nonprofit organization and it's really cool when i share this all the time and i sound like a broken record i'm sure but for me when i get the messages when people are like hey i was wearing my mental health over hockey shirt today at the ice rink or at school or wherever and it inspired a conversation that would have never been had because all of a sudden someone's like what's that say on your shirt and you're like oh yeah and then it it instantly breaks down the barrier for those conversations to happen like instantly instantly so we're gonna just quickly do this here we're gonna do it different we're gonna do it in the chat and I don't know how many people are are still watching. But if you can tell me what team drafted Patrick Davis in the comment section right now, first one, what team drafted Patrick Davis in the NHL 2005 NHL entry draft? I'll send you some blade tape compliments of the great people at blade tape and while you're at it go follow them at blade tape andrew close which nhl team which nhl team there we go he's got it andrew bears our winner congratulations to andrew I don't know what else to say here. I'm just super grateful for Patrick Davis. You know, it's it's not easy. You know, that's the first time he shared his story, you know, on a podcast. And it takes an immense amount of courage. And there's no telling how much this conversation is going to help. We get a lot of people watching 
even more people downloading and listening to the audio. And there's people out there that need to hear this. There's people out there that will hear that and take steps in their lives, in their journey of recovery. I have no doubt. I get the messages all the time. So thank you to Patrick Davis. Very powerful episode. If you're watching on Facebook, if you could please slide over to YouTube, subscribe to the Hockey to Hell and Back YouTube channel, would be greatly appreciated. Regardless of where you're watching right now, if you could press that like button, subscribe, share, whatever you can do. If you're on Facebook, share it to your wall. Please and thank you. If you're listening to the audio, what's up? I really appreciate everybody out there driving in their cars, wherever you're taking it in. Thank you. If you could please share it with your friends. You greatly, greatly appreciate it. We'll be back next Monday night, I believe. Stay tuned for the guest. I got a, a Rolodex of people I need to confirm with here and some, some really good ones coming down the pipe. Really appreciate everybody taking the time. Whether this is the first time you've watched or listened to this podcast or if you're a regular here at Hockey to Hell and Back, thank you so much. You know, this is almost a two-hour show tonight. That's a big time commitment. And it's always my goal to inspire to leave people feeling better than when they first started listening at the beginning of the night. I always try to have conversations that, you know, are tough, but all, you know, usually end in hope. There's a lot of hope in tonight's story. There's a lot of hope in this world. Those dark, those dark times are real. There's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. But just keep fighting. Just one more day. Keep going. If we listen, the answers are there. Think for me, I always want wanted people to tell me what to do or, or point me in a certain direction. Then I just always ended up being or trying to be somebody else because I was so scared of who I really was. Hell, I didn't even know who I was. Still learning who that guy is. Like we talked about, it's it's a process. It's a journey. But listen to your heart. You are a warrior. You are strong. If you need to pick up the phone right now and ask for help, please do it. You're worth it. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? The time is now. I know the loop. Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I did that for over 10 years. I used to say manana. I would say it in Spanish and make a joke out of it. Take the initiative right now. 
You heard Patrick talk about it tonight. His life is better than it could have ever imagined. You hear me talk about it. Hell, if you've been around for the last three years, you've seen what happens. My life is amazing. The people in my life are amazing. But it took a lot of work. It took a lot of pain. Some days still hurt. But not like they used to. So I'm going to say it one more time. If you're struggling and you need help, pick up that phone. Take that first step. Whenever you're watching or listening to this, take that first step. We'll see you guys all next Monday. Remember to be kind to one another. Go out and do something random and random act of kindness. Find gratitude. And as always, have a great day if you so choose.